What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Popular Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tony R. Sanders. This is the podcast where we look at what we can learn, what leadership principles we can learn through pop culture. It feels like I haven't done this in a while, uh, but I'm so excited for this episode. I want to switch up the format just a little bit. I want to start each episode just sharing some leadership principles that I learned throughout the week. At least one. I want to come on and share one leadership principle every week that I learned throughout the week. Um, The reason why I want to make this change, I want to add in more content to the podcast because I do want to get us to that 30 to 45 minute mark. Um, I know that most people, when they travel uh, to work on a Monday, their commute is roughly around that time, maybe a little bit longer. And I I would rather have you with a little more content than you need on that Monday morning ride than a little less content than you need. But also at the same time, I don't want to give you content that wouldn't be valuable or wouldn't be useful to you. And I'm just noticing that uh, there's so much value in the lessons that I'm learning on almost a daily basis at this point. Um, And I want to make sure that I share those things with you. And actually, the first one that I want to share with you is, in fact, just that. Never stop learning and always focus on what you can learn. For me, I'm a problem solver, which is an amazing tool or gift or skill, whatever you want to label it as to have, right? But in addition to that, what comes with that, I should say, is that you always see the problems. And so it's easy for me to look at a situation and only see the problems because I'm looking for a spot for my gifts to go to work. And when you're looking at a situation and you only see the problems and the problems get to seem to get bigger and more vast and more overwhelming and less possible for you to fix them on your own, you can start to get bogged down. You can start to get into a place where, you know, you are getting mentally, physically and even emotionally drained with your situation. And sometimes there is a block that goes up where you're just seeing problem after problem after problem, situation after situation that you can't resolve. At some point, you just kind of tap out or you stop even seeing the possibilities of the situation that you're in. And what I've noticed through uh, friends and great mentors, great coaches, they've always taught me to look for what you can learn. Things are not always going to work out the way that you want them to, right? Sometimes relationships are going to end. Sometimes you uh, don't get the position that you wanted or you have to leave a company that you really loved or you didn't get an opportunity that you thought you were going to get or that project that you've been trying to complete, you haven't been able to get it over the finish line. The deadline is fastly approaching and you've taken it as far as you can go, but there's still further that needs to happen before you can Uh, call it a success. And so it's easy to look at all of those problems, but it's a little more difficult initially without being reminded to focus on what can I learn from this situation? What lessons can I pull? How can I get better in this situation? And that's a question I've been asking myself a lot lately when different challenges come up for me. Instead of looking for an escape route or looking for a way out, or even throwing a pity party because I can't solve the problems anymore, right? And I can't, uh, you know, engage people the way I'm used to engaging people to solve problems. 
Start focusing on what can I learn? How can I get better from this situation? A cool thing happens when you shift your perspective. Uh, one of those things is this. When you start focusing on how much you've learned and all the lessons that you're learning from the situation, it gives you a new life because you feel like you're getting better. It feels like you're actually developing and you're on a path to development because you're getting better and you're being faced with situations that you've never been faced before, but you're also finding new ways to solve them, right? Focusing on gratitude, focusing on what you're learning, focusing on your development. You also start to find solutions in a more unique way. Now I'm looking for more of, okay, I'm learning so much. How can I start to apply what I'm learning? You know what? Let me look for other lessons that I can learn. Maybe I can't engage people the, the way that I've always had because obviously that's not working for me. What's a new path to engagement? How can I get people and influence people uh, to do things a different way now? Maybe I need to change my approach, right? And those little lessons, those little nuggets that you can start to pick up from a really negative situation or a really stressful situation or a really difficult situation, a trying situation, those little nuggets that you pick up will be forever valuable because it, it takes you to the next level. It's a level of growth. And anytime you grow, you're going to have growing pains. I remember I used to have the worst pains in my knee in the fifth and sixth and seventh grade. And my mom took me to the doctor and uh, the doctor came back and they took x-rays and they did this test and this test and they came back and they diagnosed me with something called Osgood Slaughter. And as a kid, not knowing what that is, as an adult, I still kind of don't know what that is. But as a kid, just hearing that those big words in a doctor's office with this sterile coat on and, you know, the posters of everyone's insides up on the wall, I got nervous. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have Osgood sliders. Like, I'm not going to be able to play basketball anymore, play football anymore. My, my, my career, my budding career is over, right? I went down this deep, you know, dramatic path. And my mom asked a simple question. She says, okay, what does that mean? It's like, uh, essentially growing pains. He's going to feel some discomfort because his body is stretching out faster than maybe uh, it has been previously or what your body expected. Now it's just kind of stretching out. And so I grew like six inches. And for the most part, those growing pains went away. But it was painful because I was growing, I was developing. And so sometimes you're going through lessons that are painful, um, not because it's time for you to move on. Maybe it is, right? Sometimes it is. Not because, you know, you're a failure. Not because you're not smart enough. Not because, you know, that situation just won't work out and it never will work out, right? That's not necessarily the case. It could just be your development. It could be that pressure that everyone talks about that is supposed to develop diamonds, right? So that's my leadership lesson of the week that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, always look for what you can learn. Never stop learning. Never stop growing. Never stop developing. All right. I like that. I think I'm going to keep that as a segment. That felt really good. Uh, give me some feedback in the comment section if you're watching this on YouTube and let me know if that's a segment that you would like for me to keep on the podcast. But let's not forget, this is the Pop Euler Leadership Podcast where we examine the leadership principles we can learn through pop culture. So we have to bring some pop culture content. Now, full transparency, because I believe in that on this show. I came here to talk about 
the late, great Robin Williams. Because he was being celebrated this weekend. I think it's been five years since we lost Robin Williams. He died in 2014. And so I wanted to pay my respects to him. For those of you who know me on a personal level, which the majority of you watching this do, you guys know that I've tried my hand at stand-up. And I love stand-up. I'm passionate about it. I like to do it any chance I get. Uh, And Robin Williams definitely was an influence on that. And man, I had some good leadership principles that I wanted to share about Robin Williams, and I probably still will at one day, but I did something that changed everything. (laughs) I did something that I don't normally get to do, but today was a special day. I took a Sunday afternoon nap. I took a Sunday afternoon nap, and upon rising from that nap, inspiration struck me through my Twitter timeline. On Twitter, I start to see Versace getting ripped apart by uh, an ad that they taken out where they misplaced, uh, uh, I don't, and I don't even want to, I just, I just read this, so I don't want to misquote this or uh, put this out of context, but they essentially violated uh, the one China policy, right, where China is trying to keep their country together, and uh, the way that they've listed it out in this ad essentially broke that. Let me, let me not sound like a babbling idiot. Let me just pull up the article that I read uh, and tell you kind of where the episode is going to go now. And so um, it says Yang Mi has quit Versace saying that one of the brand's T-shirts broke Beijing's, I'm sorry, one China policy. The company and the designer Donatello Versace have both since apologized for the unfortunate error. Now, I don't want to talk about that case specifically because obviously I'm not educated enough to talk about that case specifically, but I feel like there's a bigger play going on that in my my overall feel of it is that it's negative, but I know we could turn this into a positive and figure out how we can use it for our businesses and our careers, right? And that thing in pop culture today is what I like to call outrage marketing. Outrage marketing is the newest craze. And so for those of you who don't know, let me explain what outrage marketing is. For a long time in marketing, and this is stuff that I strive to do, right? So I don't want to demonize these people. This is stuff that I strive to do with this podcast, right? Some of the ideas that I have coming up for the fall, when I, the way that I want to promote this podcast and market this podcast to people for uh, other products that I plan on selling, right? I have a card game that's up on Amazon right now that I haven't started promoting yet, but I'm thinking about the best ways to market it, right? And marketing is something that's always been a challenge for me um, in uh, a lot of different respects, right? But when you're marketing a product, you want to start a conversation about it. And if you can get people talking about your product, it creates traffic online, right? Now, before, you know, you get people talking about it in the barbershop and in the grocery store and at church and different things like that. And that drove people to go to the movies or to your uh, brick and mortar store or different things like that. Now, in 2019, with this digital era that we're living in, you want to drive conversation online, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Drive conversation so people get curious enough to visit your website and check out your product, check out your podcast, your YouTube channel, whatever the case may be. And a lot of companies are good at driving conversations within their community, right? I think about some of the YouTubers that I follow that 
you know, I would love to talk about on this podcast, but they wouldn't be considered a part of pop culture. But within their community, they do amazing work and they start amazing conversations. I'll give you an example. I follow a uh, company called Blind, ran by Chris Doe. They have a YouTube channel called The Future, and it's spelled like uh, Futura, but without the A, Future without the A, and the fun is in Futura. It, it really lets me geek out on my uh, graphic design, logo design, brand identity stuff, right? I like to do that. I like to learn how to you know, develop logos and, and develop content, which is a part of uh, something that I do every day as well. Uh, even outside of these videos from an instructional design point, I develop content. And so I was super excited to find Chris Doe in the future. Now, they make some content that starts an a, amazing conversation within the design world, right? And so because of that, they've been able to create amazing content. They start the conversation. They drive traffic to their website, traffic to their YouTube page traffic to their Facebook group, right? And then on top of that, they're able to utilize that attention to convert it into sales, right? When they sell a book or when they sell merch or when they sell one of their courses, it's all because they created something that would drive a conversation, right? And I know I'm stretching this out a little bit, but because of where we're going next, I wanna make sure that we have a solid foundation and a baseline of what outrage marketing is, right? So marketing in general, you want to start a conversation uh, and mostly within your community because those are the people that are most likely to buy it. Now, there are some brands and some companies that have been around for so long and have gotten so big that mostly everyone could potentially be a person that's going to buy their product. Now, of course, they do have a specific target market that they want to target, right? They have a demographic that they want to target, but for the most part, on publicity is good publicity, at least in their eyes. And so what I have noticed, the trend over the last 18 to 24 months is these large companies start a conversation mostly on social media, specifically Twitter, that sparks a debate, sparks outrage, um, and normally divides people, unfortunately. But they do it in a way that they know they're going to target and touch emotions points that are really, really um, going to get to people. I won't say hurt people because I don't know if their intentions are to hurt people, but they know it's going to get to people. It's going to penetrate to the emotions, right? And when I'm teaching sales or when I'm teaching um, even coaching, you want to get to that emotional buy-in level from the people that you are selling to or the people that you're training or coaching. You want to figure out you know, what's important to them and then cater to this. This is what outrage marketing, and it's the same setup, but they utilize it in a different way. Outrage marketing basically finds what they know could be a sensitive spot for society or a specific group of people, and then they create a product or a campaign or a slogan that is going to spark that outrage which sparks this big conversation. Because today, when people get outraged, they tweet. They don't storm the, street, the streets, they tweet. And so once they tweet, every tweet that they do, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 tweets, now has your name in it. And so now your company or your product, your brand 
is trending, you know, number five, four, three, two, one on Twitter. And now everyone has to go see what you're trending about. And then a few of those people are going to even take it further and go to your website. And now we're generating web traffic, which already generates sales based on ads, right? If you have ads running on your website, but also it creates an opportunity to get a customer. Now, if I'm that brand, once you've visited my website, I have uh, essentially attacked my attached myself to your device and I can follow you around and see what other things you're doing on the internet, right? And your cookies. And now based on that information, maybe not now, but three months from now, six months from now, I've just developed an opportunity to advertise to a new customer who visit my who visited my site and was interested in what I had to offer, right? And that's what outrage marketing is. They do something that's divisive, that they know is a sensitive sore spot for people. They spark a conversation, right? And there's normally two sides of this conversation fighting back and forth. Oh, you guys are too sensitive. And oh, God, you guys aren't sensitive enough, right? They're fighting, but everyone's talking about the brand. Everyone's talking about the company. Everyone's visiting the website. And based on that, Within the next six to 12 months, I can cash in on all this traffic by promoting stuff to them that I know that they would like, right? Because I just got all the information from your phone and what you're doing on the internet. And now I have new customers, right? So we're going to look at a couple of examples. The first one I want to go back to is from a couple of years ago. It was H&M with the hoodie, coolest monkey in the jungle. Now, I do want to say this is something that H&M apologized for. They said it was a mistake. It was an oversight on their hands. But I don't buy that. <laughs> I think that H&M knew exactly what they were doing when they put this uh, African-American kid, this black kid in the hoodie that says coolest monkey in the jungle. I, knew, I think they knew exactly what they were doing because for years, black people have been called monkeys. And that's going to spark a debate especially in the time frame of this event happening, right? It was in a year where there were a lot of cool things happening for black people and black empowerment was on an uptick and in Hollywood, movies and TV shows were being made and centered around black people again. And so there's this cool movement coming in and they found this white hot space to be able to jump right into the movement and spark a debate and divide people, right? Now, even though I feel like what they did overall was generally negative, right? And was outraged marketing. There are a couple of things that I feel like we can learn from them, right? The same thing with Gucci. Gucci had a sweater that they put up on their website that essentially was mimicking blackface, right? And I don't have time to explain what blackface is. If you don't know, just Google it. And you probably were asleep for like six months as Gucci was going through this. I don't think for a second that Gucci did that on accident. Even what's going on with Versace now, that's not something in the United States that we necessarily care about, but in China, it's definitely a big, big thing. And so the number one leadership principle that we can learn is when you're coaching someone, when you're selling to someone, when you're marketing to someone, find out their emotional drivers. Find out what matters to them. It's so uh, interesting when I talk to leaders and they're trying to influence people on their team or other stakeholders within the business. And I ask, start asking them personal questions about that person and they have no idea. Hey, is this person married? 
you know, I don't know. I, I can't remember if I see him with a wedding ring or not. Well, did you ever ask him? No, I haven't asked him that. Okay. Or maybe they are married. Well, what's his wife's name? What's her husband's name? Oh, you know what? I don't know. I've seen pictures at her desk. I mean, I know she's got a husband. I just don't know his name. Does she have children, right? Do they have children? How old are their children? What do their children like to do for fun? Why am I asking a leader this question if they're trying to figure out the best way to coach their team or the best way to train their workforce or the best way to influence a stakeholder? I'm asking because those emotional ties, those emotional drivers matter, right? There's something that, drive you, that drives you to work every day. Right. I asked this guy one time, what, what drives you to work? And he's like, oh, Ford 150 or something. I'm like, what are you talking about? Not literally what drives you to work, but emotionally, what drives you to work? Like what makes you wake up every morning and go to work? Right. Whether it's here, whether it's there, whether it's anywhere, there's something that's driving you to work. I'll give you an example. For me, it's definitely my wife, Michelle, and my four children. They drive me to work, not just because I have to provide for them. But also, I'm sort of a symbol, uh, especially to my kids, right, of what they could potentially do with their future and what's possible for them. I remember watching my dad go to work and come home and go to work and come home day after day after day and thinking, like, that's going to be my life one day or that's possible for me as well. I used to remember meeting people that work with my dad and how much they loved him and they spoke highly of him and cared about him and smiled when he came and hugged him and all these types of things. I actually remember visiting my dad at work. He didn't know we were coming up, but we surprised him. And when we walked in, he was just having so much fun at work. And so all those things I know shaped me and shaped my children's view of me and what they could do when they get older, right? They're going to want to mimic some of those things. And so one of my emotional drivers is setting a good example for my kids and also providing for them. Another one of my emotional drivers is to be able to make enough money to provide some cool experiences for my kids. You know, we just recently got back on a vacation from Hawaii, and each day we had a unique experience that I'm sure those kids will never forget. They'll never forget watching their dad jump out of a plane from 13,000 feet above their heads. I promise you they'll never forget that. They'll never forget hiking a mountain and reaching the peak and seeing the beautiful waterfall you know, I remember being so tired and taking a second to sit down on the rocks and drink their water and eat their chips that they packed with them and all these. They'll never forget those experiences. And so those are my emotional drivers. And so knowing that as someone who works with me, I'll tell you this to people that work with me now who know those things. We have much a deeper conversations, a deeper connection, and I'm so much more happy working with them because I feel like they know me. I feel like they care about me. I feel like they trust me and I trust them and I know them. I care about them. I have the same information on them. It makes for a stronger bond. And so figure out what people, the people that you work with, the people that are on your team, that you work side by side, figure out what their emotional triggers are. That's the number one thing that I want to say about outrage marketing when we look at it from a leadership standpoint in a positive standpoint, right? Number one thing is figure out what the emotional drivers are. Number two, find a way to spark a conversation. Now that you know what's important to the people that you need to influence, that you need to train, that you need to coach, open up the conversation, right? And you don't have to do it in a way that's going to divide people or make people upset. Just spark a conversation. 
one easy thing to do in a workplace that a lot of people miss is just say, hey, James, how is Sarah and the kids? That's a simple conversation. Hey, James, I know you just bought a new house. How's everything getting settled in? That's an easy conversation, but spark a conversation around those emotional drivers. What you really want to do is build that bond with people and show that you care about them in reference to them being a human and not what you need from them on a transactional standpoint. One of the things that honestly drives me nuts is when you have leaders, people that you work with, that only ask you a personal question as a quick gateway into a conversation of what they need from you, right? Hey, how was your weekend? Hey, this is what I need. I need that report from Wednesday of last week, from Friday of last week, and from yesterday. I need all those reports on my desk by 3 p.m. I know I said I was going to give you a week. I don't have a week because the board says they need them now. Does that work? It's like, well, wait a minute. You didn't really care how my weekend went. You didn't really care about my kids or my wife. You didn't care about any of those things. You didn't show genuine interest. You only asked that in order to not be rude to go get what you wanted from me. And that's a horrible feeling when you are on the other end of that conversation, right? When you're on the receiving end of that conversation. I've even, and, and you know, maybe this isn't a good thing. I've even identified the people who do that and I just don't even give them a real answer when they ask me, hey, how's your weekend? Oh, it's cool. What's up? Because I know you want something. I know you don't genuinely care about my weekend, right? Someone who does show genuine interest, and we have these conversations all the time, and the only agenda in the conversation is to truly find out how my wife's doing or how the weekend's going, et cetera, et cetera. They get so much more of a genuine and full response from me than the people who don't, right? So, you know, it's important to build those bonds with people make those connections and build trust with people by just showing interest in them, right? And starting a conversation around those emotional drivers, right? That's point number two. And then lastly, point number three, now that we have identified those emotional drivers, now that we have, you know, sparked a conversation, right? We've we've gotten their attention. Now I would say cash in on those things, but use them for good, right? Don't try to take that information and use it against people. There's a fine line between influencing people and manipulating people, right? Manipulating people is being dishonest, not operating with integrity, making you think one thing, but really is something else. And it doesn't matter even if you're trying to help them, if you're manipulating them, you're doing it wrong, right? I'll give you a a, a good example between uh, influencing someone and manipulating someone. If I wanted to Uh, manipulate you into going to the gym. I can say, hey, man, I really been wanting to hang out with you. I know that, uh, you know, you like baseball. I like baseball. There's a baseball game going on today. I got the spot. You know, we can grab some food. We can watch the baseball game. We can hang out. They got drinks there. All you got to do is meet me at this spot at six o'clock. And you're like, great. I'm going to go watch baseball with Tony. What I didn't tell you was the spot that we were going to was actually... Planet Fitness. <laughs> yes, they have food there. Uh, it's it's nutrition bars and you know Powerade gummies and all these other things. Yes, they have drinks, but it's Gatorade and water. And oh, by the way, while we're watching the game, we're gonna have to either be on the the elliptical, the stairmaster, or the treadmill. When you show up, how happy are you gonna be about that? 
Probably not, right? Because there's some information that was key that I left out in order to manipulate you. I knew that if you had those details, you wouldn't show up. And so in order to get you to show up, I'm going to manipulate you and say all these things and not say all these things to get you to come. Now, let's say I wanted to inspire you to go to the gym, right? And you told me that you wanted to go to the gym and you just couldn't muster up the strength to do it, right? What if I started to ask you, you know, tell me why you want to go to the gym. Tell me what being fit means to you. And you start to talk about, you know, wanting to have kids one day and wanting to be there for your kids and live a longer life and, you know, throw the ball in the backyard with your son or, you know, run and chase your daughter around, help her ride her first bike and run behind her. What if I took that information and said, you know what, even though the pain of going to the gym, right, mental pain of just preparing to get there, physical pain of once you get there, right, the recovery pain, even if you take all that stuff and bought it into one and you put it on a scale on this end and on this end of the scale, you put the pain of not being able to run behind your daughter on the bike, not being able to play ball with your son, um, you know, and like you said, maybe the untimely passing of yourself due to not being in proper health, which one of those pains would weigh heavier on your heart? This one? Okay. So since this pain outweighs this pain, let's go ahead and go to the gym because even though that's going to hurt, it's going to be tough. One, it's going to get better over time. And two, it's going to be a lot easier than the pain of missing out on all those benefits of going to the gym. Now I've influenced you, right, to go to the gym. You still have all the information you know exactly what you're going for. I'm not tricking you. <laughs> I'm not miss leaving out information, right? That's going to be crucial to your decision-making process. But I'm laying it all out on the line, and I'm putting the facts together in a way that will be appealing to you for you to make the final decision. And that's the difference between manipulation and inspiration. So you have to be very careful when you're walking that fine line to make sure that once you have those emotional drivers, once you spark that conversation that you start to influence people and use it for good. Man, that was a great freestyle episode. I had no notes. I got I got cards here written down. I didn't use any of them. There's nothing here. I just went on the fly. Rest in peace to Robin Williams. Watch out for outrage marketing. There's a couple other examples that I wanted to pull up. Um, but, you know, we're just freestyling here. We're going one take, no editing, which I love because it just makes my job easier since I have to light camera, record, and edit everything. Uh, so it does make my life easier. But uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about outrage marketing. I do think it's a timely and important uh, discussion to have. And I think there's things that we can pull from it. Even if we don't necessarily agree with the tactics, we can pull some of the principles out and then use them for good, right? So I hope that you uh, enjoyed this episode and felt the same thing. And at the end of the day, the moral of the story is this. Leadership is everywhere. I do mean everywhere. All you have to do is keep your heart open, your mind focused, your eyes peeled, and watch for the pop. I'll see you guys next week on another episode of Popular Leadership. Have a good Monday.